The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. This woman was the youngest of five girls, but she didn't act like the other girls. She loved doing boy things with her father and learning everything she could. Her mom took her to her doctor when she was seven years old to find out what might be wrong with her. The answer, she was really smart. So off to boarding school, she went. When it came time for college, she explored many directions, veterinary school, medical school, family therapy, and psychology. But her real depth of knowledge came with the PhD studies of human development and neuropsychology. The way the brain functions fascinated her. Today, she combines her extensive knowledge of the brain and human development to help individuals and corporations reach higher levels of productivity. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Cynthia Dougherty. Hi, Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me to this wonderful occasion platform. It's such a beautiful energy shift right now, and I'm excited to be here. I'm so glad to have you part of it. I have so much that I want to explore with you. So let's go ahead and jump in, okay? So women leaders sometimes get blindsided in the business world, which certainly happened to both of us, I'm sure, somewhere along the way. So you teach mindfulness as one technique to address this. So how can women leaders be more mindful? Hmm, That's a great question. Mindfulness is a way that we can think clearly we can, it helps us physically, it helps us mentally. And because we have so many things that we're thinking about constantly, it keeps us in our presence, forces us to stay in the present. But like anything else that we do in life, it's a practice. And whether you're trying to get skinnier or more muscular or different things that you're working on to practice, maybe even singing better, mindfulness is a practice. And it's something you have to do every single day. I'm going to dig a little deeper in this because I'm not through with you on this question. So do you find that when, if you practice mindfulness and can get yourself in that state, that some of the noise and chatter that happens in our minds calms down? Yes, it definitely calms down because you're, you're more aware that's within ourselves. So for example, many a time in our lifetime, and you can identify, I'm sure with this, that you get home from work and as you're unwinding or starting the next task that you're doing, it dawns on you that you don't remember going through certain red lights or like, I don't remember going down that street. When you think about it, you don't remember driving all the way home. And it's because we're on autopilot all the time. We have so many tasks, so many thoughts, so many emotions, so many demands, especially even now with COVID and everything else, that we're not in our present. We just kind of keep going on and on and on, but we're so unaware of so many things that are in our presence that could actually help us. So yes, mind. So to stay in that space, then you're aware of things that are in your environment, how you're feeling physically and mentally. Yes. Something you said that, that was really key in that is that when we aren't in mindfulness, we miss opportunities. Yes. We don't even see them. So many, so many times, so many, so many times. (laughs) Yes, people that we could have met, signals from past, maybe someone in a past life, if you believe that. And my example to you with that is when my mom passed, 
She told me she would send me a feather every day. And I find a feather every day. I don't look for it. It just appears out of nowhere in the most interesting places that you can possibly find. If I wasn't mindful, I would just be going through my day on autopilot, literally. I wouldn't notice those kinds of, of beautiful things or signals or or even the beauty of a day. You have to be mindful in order to really understand what's right before you. Sometimes someone that you really don't even realize that's right in, in front of you, that's there to help you. And you're not you're not even noticing that, if that makes sense. You know, and the other side's also true on that, Cynthia, is that when we aren't mindful, we also miss the things that can hurt us. Yes, yes, very much. And you'll see people that who have had accidents or have fallen or maybe should have been more cognitive or and mindful of people that we're hanging out with, et cetera. Yes, very much. Yeah, absolutely. So you told me that our brains are in survival mode most of the time. So how does this show up in how we behave and should we try to change this? Yes, I believe we should try to change that. But our thoughts, our feelings, our actions are all hardwired in our brains and it's a process. And what happens is we have been have had the same brain and wiring for a million, literally millions of years. And so we're hardwired, correct? So when the, our ancestors came to this world, they were either hunting for something or the thing that they were hunting was going to eat them, right? So we're always in this protective mode of scanning for problems or scanning for potential problems for ourselves. So it puts us automatically so that we have different parts of our brain, our prefrontal cortex, our amygdala, our hippocampus. Certain parts of our brain are add stress hormones to ourselves, which just increases our anxiety. It increases our depression at times and uh, makes us stressed out. And it's always because we're looking for something that could heart hurt us or potentially disrupt us in some way. It's very rare when your boss calls you on the phone and says, come to the office that you, you don't, <laughs> you don't say, wow, I'm getting a raise today or I'm getting a compliment today. Right. It always goes for, Oh gosh, what did I do wrong? Or, Oh, I'm in trouble or oh, maybe I'm going to get fired or whatever. We automatically shift to what possibly could go wrong with this situation and for just about every situation that we're in. So it's always something we have to fight against, isn't it? It's something that you have to fight against or just, just be so aware and being mindful helps you reroute yourself back. Um, There's a wonderful person named Byron Katie, and she always asks people, how true is what you're saying to yourself? And I always find myself reminding myself or other people, when you bring yourself back to that center place and you're really asking, is this really true from that shatter or whatever our brain is taking us to in this negative path, it's a good place to start. And our brain does lie to us, doesn't it? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That was my TED talk. (laughs) Yes, I know. And and we forget to challenge our brains. We just think whatever tells us is true 100%. Believe whatever our brain tells us, and it gets us into a lot of trouble. It does. And, And sometimes when we step outside ourselves and look at it, we realize how foolish some of the things we believe. 
Yes, because people think your mind and your brain and your emotions are all one, but they're completely separate subsystems, but we compact it into one. And by doing that, we are not challenging any one of those body parts. Yeah, you're exactly right. So we as leaders uh, need to grow and stretch and ask our employees to do the same thing if we want our companies to reach higher levels of success. But yet we often find ourselves and others resisting this stretch. So my question to you is, why do we resist this? And what can we do to get ourselves to stretch to higher levels? Well, that's another great question. It's all about change. People, it's fear-based. People do not, and our brains do not like things to change. They like the status quo. Even though you would love to reach for higher grounds, that chatter, that inner chatter just starts attacking us in a lot of ways, (laughs) throwing doubts, trying to get you down to that negative line, right? So then you start convincing yourself that change isn't good. And our brain is throwing all those stress hormones into us, right? That's adding to the anxiety. So then we start believing even more of what that inner chatter is telling us. And so we're not really sitting there thinking about it. We're just absorbing it all. And then we just back down. And so we really have to really understand that change is actually a beautiful thing, but you're stretching your brain first, starting new neural pathways in order to make that happen. It's a process, but we shouldn't be afraid of that fear that the brain is wanting us to go down, right? But that, wow, this is an exciting adventure and you have to just change your thinking. What you think is what you bring. Hmm. And it's really, it's very much in your life every day. We're bringing everything that we're thinking by what, how we're thinking. Well, I want to, I want to stay on this one a little, because this is a juicy one for sure. Because I don't think people even understand what that means. And I totally agree with you. And yeah. I've experienced it myself. But, but I'd like for you to create a visual for our listeners. What, what would be an example of that that comes to mind? Change your mind, change your life. Well, and what you think we, would you bring? Um, I think that lots of times we set ourselves up with a picture of, even at work, of all the bad things that can happen uh, with a new job. Or if you want to go to your boss and ask that she would like more responsibilities or a raise, <laughs> women are notorious for backing away from that out of fear. They don't have the confidence that they need. So... And that's a whole another conversation that we have, <laughs> we have a whole podcast on that one. <laughs> Women run away from challenge at times because we, we were taught not, not to reach or we're fearful of what other people think of us. If a man asks for some of those things or a man decides he's going to reach for something higher, it's a challenge. It's competition. It's a good thing. Women, for some reason, see that as as a negative trait because they're fearful that they're going to be considered something too aggressive, uh, bitchy, whatever you want to call it. It's they see it differently. So we resolve conflicts differently as well. Men resolve things by just shaking hands and just getting it. You know, all right, this is over and done with. Women don't do that. They tend to let things fester inside of themselves and not deal with it because they are. They don't deal with emotion the way men do. Men are very much different with the emotion of that. Ah, it's past, it's gone, let's go on to the next challenge. Women are like, not so much, not so fast. And we limit ourselves and that's all fear-based. 
circle back around to where we started this. So on the stretch, it's really important that we have people in our lives, either as coaches or family members or someone that is pushing us to stretch because on our own accord, we're not going to necessarily jump in and say, oh boy, I'm going to make myself feel terribly uncomfortable. Yes. It's a stretch. It's a victory. I think of that when I did my TED talk, that was quite a stretch for me. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Because it's when you're a speaker, you speak, but when you're doing a TED talk, it's not speaking, it's a message. So you have to really rethink the whole thing. And so there are times that you just think, oh, I don't want to do this, or I can't do this, or this is just too much. You know, you you start telling yourself all these negative things. But in the end, if you do that, you'll feel so the dopamine will be going crazy in your brain and you'll just feel awesome. Then you want to do more. And that's for anything that we do, exercise or trying new things. Once we get that dopamine going versus the serotonin, right? And the cortisol, which is doing the opposite thing we want. It's really change. We don't have to do them in large increments. That was a pretty big step for me, right? Right. (laughs) We can do smaller things to build ourselves up that way or write our thoughts down. Journaling is so great for that because we all do vision boards. Vision boards, I love vision boards. It's something you can visually see, right? But vision boards don't work if you have the intention of really what's in that board. So the intention of that is your own encouragement because that's how we start manifesting things in that vision board to come true. I'm going to jump in there just for a second and we're going to go to the next question. But if that's the kind of thing where if people are real negative themselves, they will find they attract other negative people to them. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. So, so that, right. So, so the same thing, if they, if they view themselves as poor, they're going to attract more poor people to themselves. So, so that's what you're really meaning when you say, Thoughts become and intentions become your reality. Yes. And and to manifest something in your life, it's it, you have to have an intention for something to happen, correct? The vision. But it's you also have to have the emotion behind it. Right. For it to take off. Yeah. Because it's easy to say, oh, I want a, I want a better job. But if you don't believe that and the intention isn't pure in your heart for that to happen, it will not. It will not happen. You're exactly right. So... There's a saying that goes, habits are hard to break. Mm. So is it true? And if so, how do we break habits that hurt us and make new supportive ones? Well, habits are very hard to break. And it goes back to your practice again, because correct, because it's something you have to be motivated somewhat to do. You have to get that dopamine going in your brain. Remember, that's the when you eat chocolate, that gives us dopamine if you go to a if you're winning at the uh, when you're in Vegas on the slot machines those noises and things like that that stimulate that dopamine right so habits uh, need the dopamine something moving in yourself in order for us to start breaking things so first you have to understand what you're trying to do is it something that you can really change is it a habit that's really in your mind that you can really do this because sometimes we try to do too much, too fast, too soon. The other problem is there's a myth that it takes 30 days to break a habit. It's really 66 days or more. So you people put so much pressure on that they have to do whatever this is to break this so much more rapidly that's physiological for it to happen. So that's just the start of that. But yes, habits are 
but you're fighting your brain again. <laughs> your brain is lazy. It likes you to stay right where you are. It'll just keep throwing stuff at you to block you. And you have to know that you're separate from that. Your mind is separate from your brain, is separate from your ego. And so you have to know that the one thing that's blocking you from not being successful with your habit is just yourself. Then we need to have a good old conversation with ourselves in the mirror, don't we? Correct. <laughs> like you would a friend, talk harsh to them and say, all right, we're going to stop and this. Correct. And the more mindful you are that you hear that chatter and let the chatter know, look, I'm ignoring you. I'm, you know, hello, I hear you, but I'm not, I'm not following what you're telling me to do. It's really important. Yeah. And ha- and actually I found that it's important to actually say it out loud. Oh, say things like, we're not doing that today. Nope. Not going there. <laughs> I talk to myself all the time. About that. <laughs> we're not eating yeah. that pint ice cream today. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. If you hear it, that's even better, right? right. You're saying it, you're processing it. You're listening to yourself. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you found uh, a point along the way, you found yourself single with two young children. So how did you raise these children by yourself and still keep your career moving forward? Oh, that's a great question. I had help. My mom helped me with the kids. I was fortunate enough to have my mom there helping as well. But I had a, a drive that I wanted to be successful. I could have done more things, but I let certain things go because my priority all along were my kids and being there, being a mom, being there, teaching them some lessons, and but also making sure that I was fulfilling myself. I think a lot of women are not happy and they don't realize they're not happy. And so they're on autopilot. I used to be a runner. And what a metaphor. I didn't realize how unhappy I was, but I loved running. And again, it goes back to that dopamine. Feel how great you feel when you're running. It's a challenge and you feel so great. But it wasn't until I was way into my marriage, I didn't realize how unhappy I was, but I found so many things to keep me busy. So I wasn't in my present and I wasn't thinking. And so uh, raising my kids were a huge priority for me because I really wanted them to have a loving environment and to be a good role model for them. So you kept your eye on two balls, didn't you? You were trying to, and and working to do the things to be a good mom, but also kept making sure you took care of you and what you needed intellectually and and career-wise. Yes. We're all in family systems. We're all separate system. So your kids are a system, you're a system, the family's a system, correct? So self-care is so vital. And it's the last thing that women do for themselves is take care of themselves. And part of that is also achieving and being the best that you can be. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. You're exactly right. So we're going to stay in this space of this role of being a a parent or a boss or a spouse. And in these roles, women often serve as peacekeepers and it can be show up whether it's in the personal relationships or even in the work environment. So have you found yourself in these roles before? And the second part of that question is, how do women learn to step into conflict easier as opposed to only being the peacekeeper? I think it's also how do you define the word peacekeeper? I, I think that in the workplace, for example, yes, I found myself often in that position. I started a company, a nutraceutical company with three men. The men did, ne- did not get along because <laughs> they were all the same kind of <laughs> And always, always there, you know, trying to get everyone to just refocus on what our purpose was and to keep moving and to get 
everyone's ego out of the room. It was very difficult. But I, I personally, I'm, I'm not a conflict kind of person. I don't, I, and I think a lot of women don't know what to do with conflict. And I think that's fear-based. We don't like negative interactions. It makes us feel very uncomfortable. And I think sometimes we're afraid of our own feelings at times. And when that happens, we tend to want to cover everything up and just keep moving. Again, I think women uh, do that a lot more than men. It makes it easier. I also think in terms of corporations with peacekeepers, I think that we're in a culture still decades later that women are not, women are sort of supposed to be a peacekeeper in a lot of corporations and not be the noisemakers or the people causing a little conflict. And we associate conflict in such a negative way. So I, I think it's people afraid things are getting out of control. They're not sure they can control it. I think that, and that's fear-based too, but I think that's exactly what happens. Uh, you know, uh, men shake things off. Women can't shake things off. And in a corporate setting, it's just, or even in a family, people just like status quo. Our brains want us to be status quo. Our corporate culture wants us to be status quo. And it's very difficult for women to really be assertive and keep status quo, if that makes sense. Yeah, it certainly does. It certainly yeah. does. Yeah, that's yeah. a very wonderful yeah. perspective. Well, I think women like to have an invisible approach versus being so seen and heard in a workplace. And that's and that's considered peacekeeping, but it's really not really peacekeeping. <laughs> Almost a clandestine, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think most women in a workplace do not feel supported in terms of feeling appreciated. Yeah, yeah. I think that's certainly true in many many environments. So Cynthia, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? I believe that we all have the potential to thrive and be resilient and be the best that we can be through mindfulness, taking care of yourself, meditation, keep your brain going, keep your body going. I think that's so, so important. Keep your heart. I think gratitude is a center for us all to be very aware of if we're grateful for no matter what's happening, find some good in what we're doing. Then we're reaching for positivity versus negativity and more positive things come. And so I would say surround yourself with like-minded people, surround yourself with positive, energetic people who have bright light to shine on all, all of you. Women tend to be a little competitive with that. And we are such a force of light ourselves that we can, we could take over the world in a way if we were just, would just give up some of the ego and that fear that's, that we've been fed for such a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great challenge to leave to all of our audience listening that to step into what the vision you just created. I think that we can, we can be become a powerful force that can move the world in a different direction for sure. Yes. Cynthia. Thank you so much for taking time to be with me today and to share all this incredible wisdom you have. It's so much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. And Cynthia is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. 